good morning, church. I am Pastor Mike, and I have the privilege and the honor to bring to you uh, this morning's word. I want to start things off with a question. Does anybody have any unconscious weird habits? Like a movement or a sound or something you do with your body that you can't stop doing? Uh, something you do but you don't know that you're doing? Anyone? Weird sound, <laughs> thank you. Twirling of hair, crackling of knuckles, something like that. I feel like if I asked your spouse, they could probably tell me something. So I have this weird habit that at least it always feels this way, that I've always done it. And I'm not sure if you've noticed me doing this thing or not. And I fully recognize that as I share with you what this is, you're going to be watching me do it from here on out. So I, I get that. Uh, but I have this weird habit of doing this tongue-chewing jaw motion thing. And I do it when I'm concentrating on something, when I'm focusing on something. But here's the thing, I don't even know I'm doing it. All right, and it seems like I do it all the time. There's pictures of me doing it. People have asked me, what are you doing? People have even asked me, hey, is everything okay? <laughs> I am totally aware that I do it. But I don't know when I'm doing it, and I can't stop it. So to me, I mean, it just feels absolutely ridiculous and silly, and it drives me crazy that I do it. A few years ago, my daughter was studying at home, and guess what I saw her doing? <laughs> yep, she was doing the same weird tongue-chewing jaw motion thing, and I quickly responded, Avery, no! <laughs> Isn't it so interesting how children imitate their parents. Because I assure you, I did not teach her to do that. Right? But she watched me, she learned, she imitated. And children learn the most by watching and imitating than any other way. And God designed life this way. And when children imitate their parents, it could be really encouraging or it could be really embarrassing. From a young child sitting in the driver's seat pretending to drive, to pretending to shave like dad, to the more important things such as the passing off of faith, reading your Bible, praying, serving, giving, treating others well. Well, that's the encouraging stuff that we just pray our kids learn from us. And then there's the really embarrassing stuff, right? When you see your anger in your kid. Or when you hear the same rough, harsh language, when you see a passive, lazy work ethic, just unhealthy habits, when you see your kid do that, well, it's not quite as encouraging, is it? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 is telling the church in Ephesus this very same thing, that children imitate their parents. And to Paul's main point and our main point for today, so if you're going to pay attention to anything right here, that if God is in fact your parent, then you need to imitate him in everything. If God is loving, then we need to be loving. If God is light, then we need to walk in light. If God is, is full of truth, then we need to walk in wisdom. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, it's also gonna be on the screen behind me. Uh, but let me remind you that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus to encourage them 
The first half of the letter is all about the story of the gospel. It is the story of Jesus and how all of history came to its pinnacle in Jesus. And then the second half of the letter, it's about how we live out the gospel in a very real, practical, everyday kind of way. So we are in the second half of the letter in chapter 5. So let's go ahead and read chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So the first attribute of God our Father that we should imitate is one of love. It's one of love. Right? Understand that this, it, this love is not the I love tacos kind of love. Okay, We're talking about a love that is so deep and sacrificial that Jesus was willing to die in your place on the cross because of your sins, which is what you deserved and what you earned. From the very first moment in history where sin entered the world, it has done nothing but bring destruction and brokenness. Brokenness in creation. Brokenness in relationships with other people, and most importantly, brokenness in relationship with God. A perfect and holy God cannot be around anything that is impure or unholy, which is what our sin makes us. But God, it's a great phrase, but God, in his vast and deep and great love for us, he sent Jesus down to this earth, to mend, to fix, to pay the price for your sin, for your sin and for my sin. And he died a gruesome and excruciating death in our place. And why did Jesus do this? Love. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. This kind of love is truly sacrificial. And this is how our God loves. And God is constantly showing us his love for us. If, verse one, it, it states that we are his dear children. His dear children. That can also be translated as beloved. Just pause in this moment. This verse is telling us that you and I are God's beloved child. This same Greek word used here is the same Greek word that is used in Matthew 3.17. And in Matthew 3, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus is coming out of the water, there is a voice from heaven, a, the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, God is saying, this is my son who I admire. This is my son who has great, great value to me. This is my son who is my prize, my treasure. That's what God is communicating when he uses the word beloved in Matthew 3. Do you get it? That Jesus, God, God is speaking of us the same way that he spoke of Jesus in Matthew 3. That you are God's treasure, that you are God's gift, that you have great, great value to him. Church family, 
That is your identity. And it has nothing to do with what you have done or not done. It is simply God's choosing to love you. We are born into this loving relationship with God the Father, and it ought to result in us showing love the same way that he showed us love. Sacrificially, completely, making the choice to. We need to love like he did, like he does. And church family, this is not something that is foreign or unattainable to the Christian life, right? Ephesians 4 from two weeks ago, it's all about this idea of of taking off, right, getting rid of the old nature and putting on the new, which is our new nature, which is found in the Spirit of God. And through the Spirit, because of the Spirit of God in our life, we can love the way that God loved. So we imitate God as we walk in love. Another way that we imitate God is to walk as children of light. But before we get to this light, what Paul does is kind of, Paul contrasts light and darkness. So he has a list of darkness. It's, It's a list of sins that are totally unacceptable to his beloved children. So look at verse three with me. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. In John 1, 5, we are told that God is light. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, we are told that God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, we are children of light that we no longer belong to the darkness of this world, the darkness around us. And Paul warns the church at Ephesus to avoid darkness, to avoid sexual sins that were so prevalent in his day and prevalent in our day. So let's look at this. This Greek word for sexual sins is pornia, which means sex acts that are forbidden by God. Well, what acts are we talking about? Adultery, having sex with somebody other than who you're married to. Fornication, having sex when you're not married. Homosexuality, having sex with your same gender. Sexual sins also include sex with a divorced man or woman, sex with a close relative, sex with an animal. It just basically wraps itself around everything outside of sex between a husband and wife. So when Paul talks about sexual sins, this is what he's talking about. And it must be avoided Then in the same sentence as sexual sins, Paul mentions greed, that there should not be greed or covenantness in the life of the believer. And this may seem kind of odd to mention greed right after sexual sins, but if you do think about it, both of the roots of these two things are the same. It's an inability to control appetite, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it seeks to satisfy appetite in the person, but it never does. Well, if I just had more sex more pornography, uh, more flesh. It's it's never enough. It never satisfies. If if I just had the bigger house and the new car and if I had more toys and more shiny things, it's, it's never enough. It never satisfies. 
See, life living in darkness, it is never going to bring you satisfaction. It's never gonna give you what your heart desires. So Paul says, not even a hint. Not even a hint. And then in verse four, he moves into darkness language, speech, that has no place in the life of a believer. Obscene speech and foolish talks, coarse jesting, all these forms of speech are just shameful and dirty, and it's fueled by sin that is simply unfit for those who imitate God and who are children of light. Pastor Kirk, he he preached on speech and language last week. I'm not gonna go into any more detail about that, but I encourage you, if you didn't watch last week, go to our website, factoledo.org, and check out that sermon. But the bottom line, though, Paul says that our speech at all times, it needs to be characterized by thanksgiving and praising God. So as a children of God, you are no longer defined by the darkness of this world. So Paul says not even a hint of sexual sins, not even a hint of greed, not even a hint of shameful language. You are a child of light. But if you do choose darkness, right, there's a certain future that awaits. Look at verse five here. It says, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an adulterer, worshiping the things of this world. So do not be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Paul made it very clear that those who deliberately and persistently live in sin, they, they will not share in the kingdom of God. And I want to be crystal clear as well, that your sin will determine your eternal destiny. All right, if you have not said yes to Jesus, if Christ has not paid the penalty of your sins, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, if you choose to live in sin, if you have like an habitual practice of sin where you have no desire to change, if the desire of your heart is to worship anything other than God, if you are on the throne in your life and God is not, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin is not tolerated by God. And all sin does is bring brokenness and destruction. It does that in our lives now and it has eternal consequences. And in Paul's day, it was wild. There's like these false Christians who would go around and they would try to convince other people that you could live in sin and get away with it. Like they had arguments to convince other believers that you could sin repeatedly over and over and still inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Yeah, go ahead and sin. It's no biggie. God's grace, that's what's gonna cover you. Grace, grace, grace. Right, Pastor Donald talked about this two weeks ago. Paul warns us against false teachers. So church, Do not be misled. We already know how God feels about sin. Okay, we saw what had to be done to Jesus on the cross because of sin, right? The punishment, the pain, the brokenness, the death. 
God has not changed his mind or how he feels about sin. If God is willing to crush his own son, he's not gonna let you skate by. So do not for a moment think that your sin is no big deal. So that's darkness, that's a consequence of darkness. Now let's get to light. Look at light. Look at verse seven here. It says, don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will expose, will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So finally we get to this idea that we are children of light. Since God is light, we are children of light, and we need to live in light every day. So let's think for a moment about light and what it does. Well, light illuminates. Light separates darkness. Light causes growth. And lastly, light reveals. So let's briefly talk about these things. First one, light illuminates. We know that it is relatively easy to hide things from other people because they don't see our hearts and our minds. God, however, he sees all, and we cannot hide anything from him, right? So living in light means that we choose to live before the eyes of God and not the eyes of men. So we hide nothing. We are open and we are honest about everything, even the ugly stuff. And as we are open, not hiding anything, Living in light will cause growth. Like the more and more that we expose the, the deep, dark, secret corners of our lives, right, the letting go of sin, the more God's gonna be able to cleanse us. And God's gonna be able to shape us into his image, which is what the whole Christian life is all about, right? Light also separates darkness. When Jesus walked on this earth, man, he was constantly exposing darkness revealing sin, and he was pointing people to God for salvation and in a future. And in that same way, by our conduct, by our character, we bring God's light into this dark world. Like church, we, we need to understand, and I hope we understand, that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unsaved. Right, the unsaved, the sinners, like they don't know any better. They don't know any different. We should not be surprised when sinners live in sin. Right? It's all that they know. It's their very nature since they still live in their sin nature. But as we live in light, you show them a different way. You show them Jesus. right? And you can show them a way out of the darkness into light. And lastly, light reveals Light reveals God. It reveals his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness. It reveals his love. God's attitude in exposing our sin is never like a, ha ha, gotcha. 
Look how gross and disgusting you are. That's never the attitude of our glorious Father. His attitude is, hey, look here, my beloved. My beloved, do you see this in your life? This has to go. And this has to go because this is hurting you and this is not what is best for you and this is not revealing my glory. That's his attitude. Light reveals his justice to deal with our sin. Light reveals his compassion to forgive and to cleanse us. It reveals his grace to restore us and accept us. And it reveals his love to do it over and over. So the second way that we imitate God according to Ephesians 5 is as walking as children of light, exposing our sin, hiding nothing, revealing him, and helping others out of the darkness. Finally, the last way that we imitate God is to walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So this Greek word here, uses careful, it has this idea of being exact, accurate. As you imitate God and walk around in this world, you need to walk with precision. Walk in wisdom. You don't walk around carelessly without guidance, without forethought. You don't leave things kind of up in the air, right, up for chance, but rather you need to make wise decisions as you imitate God. You can see this connection in verse 14 when it says, hey, Wake up. Don't walk around asleep. Pay attention. Open your eyes. There is an intentionality in imitating God. And why do we need to be intentional? Why do we need to be careful? Well, Paul points out a few of these reasons. Right? And in verse 15, Paul says it's just, you know, it's a mark of understanding. Paul says that only fools, that those who don't know, those who don't get it, those are the ones who drift through life with no set course. Fools are sleepy with no purpose, no direction. So Paul says, don't be foolish, be wise. Paul says in verse 16 that we need to walk in wisdom because, because life is short. Life is short. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but when an opportunity comes to advance God's kingdom, you either, either seize it or you watch it go by, but you can't get it back. And as the great Michael Scott said, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So church, grab a hold of the opportunities that are before you, the opportunities God has given you. Not only is life short, but Paul earns, ends verse 16 by saying that these days are evil. In his time, Paul's talking about the Roman persecution that's happening. Like, there were opportunities right then that they had to win the lost. But those opportunities, because the days were evil, could be taken away at any moment by the powers of the day. Ultimately, what Paul is communicating here is that there is indeed an urgency. An urgency. That time is precious. That time, you don't get any more of it. and You don't, and you can't get it back. 
So time is valuable. So what life you do have, Paul tells us to imitate God and to walk in wisdom with precision and purpose. And the same thing is true for us, isn't it? And it leads me to ask a question. What are we doing with the time that God's given us? Are we making the most of every opportunity? Church family, be careful. Be intentional as you walk. As God's child created in God's image, God has given you purpose. Right? He has plans for you. So don't walk around asleep or like a fool. You're going to miss out. You're going to waste the opportunity. And more importantly, I think you're going to miss an opportunity to partner with God in what he is doing in this world. So imitate God. Walk in wisdom. Be wise. And finally, Paul concludes this section on imitating our Father by basically asking the question, well, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? This is cool. Check this out. Look in verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Paul is summing this all up right now. Right? There is an old nature that is before God, where you are controlled by self, living for self, satisfying self. That is the drunkenness of this world, the darkness. And then there is life in the spirit of God. It's controlled by God. It brings lasting joy to the believers. It, it, it brings self-control. It helps you worship God, serve others. Two natures, right? And, and two things are true about both these natures. The first is that both require a daily feeling. To be satisfied in the old nature drunk, right? We understand that one needs to continue to pour sin and self into one's life to bring satisfaction because the state of drunkenness, it doesn't last. And in the same way, true satisfaction in God and life in the spirit, you have to say yes to Jesus every day. It, it, it is saying yes to his authority in your life, his guidance, his correction, it's relying on his power every day. It has to happen every day. The second thing that is true about both natures is the evidence in your life on which nature that you choose. You know when someone is drunk. You know when someone chooses self and lives only for themselves. It's visible. It is seen by all. And in the same way, you know when someone chooses the spirit life. Because verse 19 tells us that, that just praise is going to flow from their lips. Songs, adoration, worship of God, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be visible in their life, seen by all. So Paul's question to the church in Ephesus, and our question for us here today and now, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Are you imitating the darkness of the world? Sin? Or are you imitating God? Living your life in the spirit, 
because it's through the Spirit, because of the Spirit, right? That's how we can imitate God. We can love the way that God loves. We can be light to this dark world, and we imitate God as we walk in wisdom, fulfilling his purpose for our lives. His will, we're advancing his kingdom. We're bringing back the king.